0: Welcome to the show, and don't forget to check out this month's Nebula exclusive, Giant Space Monsters, as we explore everything from space kraken to giant sandworms. To get access and help support the show while hearing every episode early and ad-free, plus hours of bonus content, check out go.nebula.tv slash and use my code Isaac This episode is sponsored by CuriosityStream. The first sport ever played in space was golf, What comes next? So today's topic, space sports and sports in the future, has been one requested over and over again for years now, and it seemed past time to cover it. We'll mostly be looking at sports in low or no gravity but we'll spend a bit of time considering how future technology might impact sports, both in altering how they are played and inventing new games. To look at the future of sports, it helps to look at the past and how that's birthed our games, to give an insight into what might shape those in the future. One thing that sticks out right away is that many games serve to hone combat and survival skills or serve as a type of proxy for them and our competitive drives. This is rather overt with something like archery or fencing or martial arts or board games like chess, and less obvious with things like marathons or decathlons. Another key point is that they often arise out of the work environment. For our very distant ancestors, sports that arose from hunting would be an example, but contests like log tossing or sailing or rowing or weightlifting or even bricklaying are examples of work becoming a sport. One might imagine that in space, something like competitive EVA races to get suited up outside into the vacuum and finding and welding shut air leaks would be a job from which a sport might arise. It's very easy to imagine zero-G gymnastics and low-grav aerobatics becoming popular, not just because it offers new levels to these sports, but because the ability to maneuver in lower gravity is so important to skill to master if you're living and working there. A third point is that a lot of games have arisen around what was available. We have a desire to play around, and we'll typically do that with whatever is on hand, even if it involves a lot of improvising. As an example of that, I mentioned in the intro that the first space sport was golf, when Alan Shepard used a makeshift six iron by combining a rock collector's shaft with a six iron head he'd brought on board with a couple of golf balls. Later during Apollo 16 they did some rover racing, the first lunar Grand Prix. We don't need much reason to want to play sports and games in space, but we've good motivations for it too. Exercise is good for us, and very important to maintaining our health in low gravity. Sports are also better at maintaining mental health than just mindlessly running on a treadmill. We are not hamsters, so especially when using a machine like a treadmill or stationary bike, we usually like to have some music or something to watch to help with the monotony. But sports are generally even better. And even on the cramped confines of the International Space Station, we've seen a lot of experimentation by the crews with playing this or that sport. Maintaining and improving body and mind is not only easier when it's fun but usually more effective too. Which is why even with non-physical skills like logic or reasoning or reading we often introduce a game format for instruction, like a crossword or interactive puzzle, and why we try to make our episodes fun, not simply lectures. And it's not even vaguely coincidental that virtually every sponsor of this educational channel is focused on improving knowledge and skills in fun and interesting ways. There may come a time when keeping the body in shape doesn't require exercise, and that's something to think about, a time when you can just step into the MuscleTron 3000 and step out looking like a Greek god. But training and practice would presumably still be necessary for both mind and muscle memory, though of course we can't rule out one day being able to augment the mind or even upload skills complete with all those reflexes. Such augmentations, mental and physical, might really mess up professional sports in the future and of course are already a constant concern, be it doping or gear which grants an unfair advantage, for a given and debatable definition of the term unfair. Cybernetic or genetic enhancement might wreck a lot of professional games, but I honestly rather doubt it. We regulate or adapt as needed, and ultimately that's up to what the audiences find acceptable anyway, Fail matters for amateur team sports too of course, whether or not it's okay to use a wooden bat or aluminum, or maybe a few decades from now a pair of goggles that track the ball in flight and let you know where to swing or run to for a catch. And along with looking at low gravity, zero gravity, and unearthly environments, things like that are of interest to us in discussing future sports today, along with looking at what might alter modern sports. Of course one has to define what a sport is. I remember seeing a game of chess once on ESPN and being a bit surprised that was on a sports network, and my own personal definition was always that it's not a sport if you don't get sweaty and tired playing it. Of course there are plenty of games everyone calls sports like NASCAR that are more about reflexes and endurance than physical exertion, and many sports involve a large measure of physical and mental exertion and practice reflexes any one of which can be tiring or make you sweaty. Plus, I suspect most folks who play water sports would argue that being sweat drenched is hardly relevant anyway. I suspect most folks in this audience could corroborate me when I say mental activity can be quite exhausting too. Usually when I'm done with a script for the show, which is typically a single sit-down writing marathon, I emerge a bit drained and tired and hungry and wondering why the clock reads several hours later. To get into low gravity sports, we should probably puncture the mistaken impression many have that working in lower or no gravity is easier. Obviously in some ways it is, but there's weight and then there's mass, and while exerting force against something's gravitational pull is obviously hard, it still has its own inertial mass even in the middle of empty space. Even ignoring that wearing a spacesuit is very tiring, moving around in low or no gravity is hardly a freebie. Throwing a ball has very little to do with fighting gravity, even if it has a big effect on its trajectory. That's probably the first thing most folks think about with low gravity. Playing baseball or golf on the Moon or Mars is going to result in a much longer flight time for the same speed, and a golf ball or baseball or bullet on a place with half of Earth's gravity is going to stick in the air twice as long. Earth's gravity is 2.6 times stronger than Mars and 6 times stronger than the Moon. So a projectile will stay up 2.6 and 6 times as long respectively and cover correspondingly more distance. If you're playing someplace where the gravity is twice as strong, expect it to fall down twice as fast and cover half the distance. Obviously this all ignores air resistance and lift, but we'll get to that in a bit. This means your baseball outfield needs to be proportionally bigger or smaller but maybe not entirely proportionally since your outfielders have to try to catch that ball or grab it after it's hit and throw it back, and a larger or smaller field to account for gravity isn't changing their running time much. Of course they can jump a lot higher too, and games like volleyball or long jump or high jump all changed. Even track and field hurdles not only need to be higher but spaced farther apart as you'll cover more distance even when jumping the same height of barrier before you can land and start running again. That also means in games like billiards or snooker, you probably need a glass plate over the balls or some thick liquid it all bounce around in so they don't fly off the table constantly. It totally wrecks American football too, as unless you make the field much longer, which would really wreck the normal ground game. Even a fairly weak kicker is going to be able to nail a field goal from his own end zone, at least for distance, and almost any fourth down that would end with a punt is going to be a try for a field goal instead. For that matter, when tackles turn into dog piles in low gravity they might end up floating in a tangle of bouncing bodies, so the game might need a major overhaul. That's not the first time that's happened either. Around a century ago the sheer number of injuries and deaths in American football, which was a particularly vicious style of rugby, resulted in President Teddy Roosevelt advocating for new rules to allow forward passing, and that had some obvious direct and secondary results on changing gameplay. I pick that example because some of these games wouldn't seem able to survive the effect of way different gravity without being so changed it wouldn't seem like the same game anymore. But American football, which involves a foot hitting a ball pretty rarely, basically only to begin and end which team's turn it is, is an example of dubious names and divergent sports. Of course dubious names are probably going to be common enough in space anyway, as folks are likely to still refer to air as being part of their atmosphere, even though inside a dome or a rotating cylinder habitat, there's obviously no sphere of air involved. Speaking of air, that can have a big effect on games too, and not every game in space is going to be played in air, and in many sports, carrying around your air supply is likely to be a big deal. Hiking or climbing up a mountain on Mars is way easier than on Earth, except on Earth you don't have to carry your air with you and air is actually fairly heavy as our tanks will need to be sturdy enough to hold the stuff compressed and not be easily punctured either. That might make an amusing modification to dueling games too. We don't duel much anymore, and certainly not to the death, but even when we did we usually only went to forced blood, and I could imagine that returning as our medical technology improves so that there was very little risk of permanent harm in a knife or sword fight, but I could imagine fights in space going not to forced blood but to forced leak, a puncture to someone else's suit. That's a little more probable to me because I can imagine that contest to patch a leak would be one of those new sports we'd see develop anyway. As I mentioned earlier, a lot of sports derive from survival skills, and in space or hostile planets the ability to keep your suit unpunctured or seal leaks to it or other objects is likely to be a major survival skill. You could get some sports very unique to specific planets or moons too. On Earth, depending on your latitude, the day-night Terminator comes over very quickly and in a blur from the air, you never really see a line of day and night pass over you. But on places like the Moon, with no air to blur light and a day a month long, even on the equator where it's fastest, the Terminator only moves 4.6 meters per second or 10 miles per hour, meaning you could sprint ahead of it for a while. On places like Mercury, where it's even longer, you could walk at a light stroll ahead of it and even set up camp. Of course if it caught you, you'd be burned up, but one might imagine folks out surveying the places in rovers with gear might make contests out of staying barely ahead of the boiling day or freezing night and setting up camp shelters or digging down in the ground. You might do that on Venus too, which has a very long day as well, But the surface is a boiling hot, high-pressure death trap buried far beneath a thick and poisonous atmosphere, though at higher levels you might go hang gliding around, and I suspect hang gliding would be a popular sport there. Of course if spacesuits, or Venus suits, were good enough, really high tech about pressure and heat, you might have folks who made a business and eventually a sport of flying down to that deadly surface. Suicidal drops are already a popular sport here, be it bungee jumping and skydiving to cliff diving, a sport which presumably only has the ranks of Grandmaster and stuff on a rock. Diving off orbital rings onto Earth is certainly plausible, and suits able to handle re-entry and high pressure might result in folks not only diving down from orbit into the sea but aiming to drop all the way down to the bottom of an ocean trench and back up again. Felix Baumgartner's world record skydive was as high in altitude as many orbital ring systems would be. It's not just Earth, though, folks could dive from orbit into gas giants and aiming to land on platforms deeper in the atmosphere. Considering that emergency and search and rescue crews for gas refining facilities on those gas giants might actually have to be trained to do something like that, I could well imagine it becoming a major sport. Now it should be noted that just because gravity is lower, or zero in places, doesn't mean they'll have to adapt their sports to that. We know how to make artificial gravity by rotation, and are likely to employ that in human habitations any place where there isn't already decent gravity. Not all sections of space habitats might be under spin gravity or full Earth levels even if it were, but the gym would tend to be the place you'd most want that, especially for maintaining a typical human physique. It sounds awesome to be able to lift a few thousand kilos over your head in low gravity, but weightlifting competitions in low or no gravity are likely to be about speed of repetitions as much as mass being moved. How quickly you can deadlift a weight, fighting its inertial mass, not the sheer mass you can get over your head eventually, since that becomes as meaningless as doing a handstand on Earth and saying you're Atlas, able to lift up the world. But on planets where the gravity is rather low, we do have the option of merging spin gravity with normal gravity, though that requires you spin a rather large and deep bowl shape. Of course that happens to be what a good arena or stadium looks like anyway, and odds are any interplanetary sports league is likely to have an agreed upon gravity and air composition used for the sports. I suspect that would be Earth standard gravity too, except for games developed uniquely for low gravity or microgravity rather than adapted. Now you could get some interesting version of existing games too. In soccer or basketball for instance, it's about aiming a ball for a specific target more than a sheer range, same for darts, and other than adapting around a longer parabolic curve, you're not really changing things much. Indeed for stuff like darts or archery, the flight time to the target is sufficiently short that much of your lift and drop is from air as much as gravity. It won't fly the same in zero gravity but it's not that same huge game changer it would be in something like baseball. One interesting variation we might see is folks on low gravity asteroids or small moons, which make up 99% of the objects kicking around the solar system setting the target as launching an item at just the right speed to orbit the body, not too fast, not too slow, and Orbit Ball might score points by how many times the ball went around the object before crashing into the ground or spiraling out to escape. Some games like Racquetball might adapt to zero gravity by using a pressurized sphere you bounce the ball around, kind of like how Bashir and O'Brien did in Deep Space Nine, and you might wear finned or wing suits to help you maneuver around. For that matter, we don't normally think of catching a ball or throwing it as moving us, as we tend to be planted on the ground rather firmly, but even if you're not in a vacuum so you experience air drag, you'll notice how you absorb or counter momentum of anything you catch a lot more and can use that for bouncing around off walls to change your position. There's some really great descriptions of maneuvering for games in zero gravity in Orson Scott Card's classic sci-fi novel Ender's Game, which is well worth a read. Keeping inertia and momentum in mind, games with heavier balls and no gravity like Zero-G dodgeball, might turn into something where the objective wasn't to get the ball in some goal but to get your opponent or yourself into one, by bouncing or throwing balls to exchange momentum you might get some very coordinated passing between teams to achieve such goals. I could envision folks playing darts in inflated spacesuits trying to puncture bubbles or segments on it to shove their opponents around, as that's decent training for trying to deal with a spacesuit leak in EVA. You jump from one airlock to another while everyone tries to pop your balloons and knock you off course, and you try to steer to the goal with those leaks providing thrust. Also, considering that most of the solar system's bodies are covered in ice, and low on gravity, you might get some very interesting versions of ice skating or skiing too, especially considering the kind of maneuvers you can pull off when you're on some icy rock whose escape velocity might not be much higher than how fast you can jump. I could well imagine a Winter Olympic sport where we melted a curved path up and down all the way around the equator of a body and folks aim to circumnavigate on skis or skates as fast as they could and could use their air supply for additional thrust to speed up. Gases escaping from a suit can be used for thrust, and while it's a little low brow, us being humans, I would not even be a little bit surprised if a normal zero-g pub game was for contests to see who could belch across the room fastest. And given that belching is not the only way for humans to generate propulsive gases, I'd imagine we'd have a parallel contest where folks were eating all the beans they could stomach beforehand too. I'd imagine neither version would be something you'd invite a date along for, unless you were planning to break up. Something you might bring a partner along for is dancing though, and given all the awesome options available for moves in low gravity, I'd imagine this would be popular and you might get some very interesting costumes for that too, as we already often tailor dresses or skirts with whirling around in mind, and I suspect folks would cheerfully deck themselves out with wings and feathers if they were in a low enough gravity environment that they could use those to alter their motion a lot. Of course a date isn't the only partner you might have, our furry friend shall surely accompany us off our homeworld to every rock we settle or habitat we assemble and they need exercise too, and playing frisbee with your dog in low gravity is bound to be rather amusing. Keeping in mind all those icy bodies, I can also imagine dog sledding being popular, either under pressurized domes or with spacesuits for the dogs. While sleds would presumably be powered by motors, not canines, there are plenty of motorsports too, and if you're using electric motor, you can use rovers, motorbikes, dune buggies, and so on. I don't think I've ever seen a fictional portrayal of somebody riding a dirt bike on Mars or the Moon, but a well-made spacesuit might be no more encumbering than the normal protective gear for dirt bikes and you could get away with riding one around in the vacuum over all those mile-high crater walls and down those massive canyons and lava tubes. Maybe add a bit of rock tree in there or even some wings for partial pressure environments like an early phase terraform Mars, our topic for next week. But you could pull off some bike jumps on those walls, which would terrify evil Knievel. Something you could also be doing with skates, skateboards, skis, or even your own two feet in some places. Pedal powered aircraft might become a popular adaptation to both flying and bicycling on many places too, under a pressurized dome, of course. Needless to say, spaceship races might be popular, seeing who could slingshot closest and fastest to a planet. We see something like that in The Expanse. And solar sails and sun diving might get very popular too. Spaceships always have to worry about debris, either dodging it or vaporizing it, and while you'd expect that to be automated, I'd imagine there'd be a lot of manual training to do that as a backup. And as we said, survival skills make for good sports, so trying to shoot down debris manually or walk through obstacle courses might be popular too we might also see stuff like asteroid hopping or scavenger hunts arising out of asteroid mining cultures. Besides outer space, we also have cyberspace, and while we don't think of video games as sports normally, they can be turned into them easily enough, and also many do already focus on reflexes, which we've already noted was a major or dominant aspect of many traditional sports anyway. That also offers all sorts of cool options like racing your dragon around a virtual world, but of course with genetic engineering and cybernetics, you might easily be able to have dragons on low-gravity worlds, or be one yourself. So many options for continuing or adapting existing sports or making entirely new ones, so that I'm pretty sure we'll never get bored or run out of sports to play or watch in the future. It does bring up that competitive drive to excel though, which for professional sports often leads to some fairly extreme efforts, which I imagine will only be amplified by options like genetic engineering, cybernetics, and neural and cognitive enhancement. There's a great documentary on that topic and things like psychocognitive training for athletes, Quest for the Perfect Athlete, that you can watch on Curiosity Stream one of many excellent documentaries you can watch there on all sorts of fascinating topics. Curiosity Stream is a subscription streaming service that offers over 2,400 documentaries and non-fiction titles from some of the world's best filmmakers, including exclusive originals, and from some of our top thinkers, like Stephen Hawking and Michio Keku. You can get unlimited access starting at just $2.99 a month, and for our audience, the first 30 days are completely free if you sign up at CuriosityStream.com slash during the sign up process. As I mentioned, next week we'll be visiting Mars again and we'll be looking at how we can go about terraforming as close to earth conditions as we can and what our options would be, from the restrained to the extravagant, from the low tech to the very high tech as we take that lifeless red ball and try to turn it green in Springtime on Mars. The week after that we'll be celebrating SFIA's 5th anniversary by returning to one of our favorite topics, the Fomi Paradox, in Fomi Paradox Extinction. For Loss, when those and other episodes come out, make sure to subscribe to the channel, and if you'd like to support the channel, visit our website to donate or look at some of the SFIA merchandise you can get.